It's Saturday at 6. It's time for your weekly music and entertainment fix. Backstage with Sinead Nivorda. With all the best music, interviews and live sessions. Live from the Radio Nova Studios in the Dublin Docklands. Hello and a very good evening to you and it's rather warm Saturday evening. Hope you've been enjoying the evening so far. Trust me, it's about to get even better as joining me backstage this evening will be Dave Vanian of The Damned who are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. They're going to be playing um, an anniversary show at Dublin's Academy on the 26th of this month. Very exciting. So the legendary frontman is going to be talking about the birth of punk, uh, Malcolm McLaren, and his job as a grave digger as well. Sean O'Connor is going to be dropping by to talk about the lookalikes for you That's right, 34 years after disbanding, the guys are going to be putting on a reunion show at the Workman's Club in Dublin. So it's going to be chatting about that and on touring with Phil Linett. I'll have music from the brilliant band Whitney, a gorgeous live one from Elbow. I've also got a track in the way from the Smiths. And of course, you're going to have music from the lookalikes and some nice early punk tunes from the damned. Backstage on Radio Nova. My first guest will be Dave Vanian of The Damned. The Damned. They're one of the most influential punk groups, contributing majorly to gothic rock, being one of the first bands to play in the genre, as well as influencing future hardcore punk bands with their fast-paced energetic playing style and attitude along with the Sex Pistols and the Clash they helped to spearhead the punk movement in the UK. They were the first British punk band to release a single an album and have a record hit in the UK charts and tour the US. I'm so excited to be joined by Dave Vanian. Before we hear from him though, let's get a tune on from The Damned. This is the first ever punk single to be released in the UK from The Damned. This is Nero's on Radio Nova. Is she really going out with him?
Music from the Damned on Radio Nova, New Rose, the very first punk single ever released back in 1976. Punk is celebrating their 40th anniversary and the Damned are celebrating their 40th anniversary and they shall be coming here to play Dublin live at the Academy on Friday the 26th of August. Cannot wait for that gig. And joining me ahead of it is frontman of the Damned, Dave Vanian. Dave, thanks so much for joining me backstage today. Well, happy 40th. How does it feel? <laughs> Does it feel like well, it's... You know, everybody else goes on about it. I don't really think about it. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... because, you, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's an odd one, isn't it? It kind of creeps up on us, and yet everyone else goes, oh, what's your fault? You know, it must be great. Ooh, you know, which it is. Yeah. And it, but it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's great, but probably I've been told too many times now. It's yeah, you're like, oh, whatever. Because I know you've, yeah. you've got a, a big one coming up this year in October, don't I you? I beg your pardon, madam. Uh, excuse, excuse me. A big what? <laughs> no, no, behave. <laughs> you're 60th. A big what, sorry? Oh, right. <laughs> oh, me personally, I'll try and forget that one as well, yeah. Well, you're very well informed, yeah. Tell you what, yeah. Doing me research, yeah. you didn't even know about your own birthday, what? You certainly have. Well, I don't bother with it, you know, it's for other people to know. All right, so. But it's such a mammoth year, 1976, the start of punk, you know, the start of the Damned, the start of Pistols, the Clash. Of course, you guys no, were the very first. If you, if you use that ground zero thing, I mean, I always think it started much earlier. I think it started in the late 60s. With MC5 and stuff? Or? I think it started, yeah, exactly. Mm. Stooges, MC5, all the, all the garage bands before that, Seeds, Shadows, Night, Psychedelia, you know. Yeah. It was all happening from the West Coast and across America and stuff. And yeah, the Ramones. Left and... Bank and, the, and all them. And then, of course, you know, so it seemed as if, to me, almost as if, at least in America, it wasn't played on the radio, but mm. it was always kind of there as this thin uh, kind of strand of music that was a bit more played by the uh, free radio, college stations and stuff. Yeah. And uh, obviously the likes of... Um, you know, the Ramones and stuff would have been fully aware of all that stuff as well. And they, mm. they just continued on with it, really. And it, it kind of made a resurgence, if you like. Yeah. So is that what, what kind of um, engaged it for you with that whole start of the whole punk era and what, yeah, what, I mean, what that, filtered that, that into the dance? Yeah, it, it mm. I mean, it was a very um, driven time. It was a very exciting time because there, there was the people uh, were congregating in, in London in certain areas, and they were all, it was all fizzling with uh, excitement of creativity, and, and everybody wanted to do something, but not quite knowing what that thing was, and it was writers and artists and, you know, musicians and dancers, and anybody wanted to do something their own way and slightly different, maybe a bit dangerous or decadent in some way or mm. whatever, you know. Um, and it, it just kind of, I guess, exploded like it always does. I mean, it must have happened that way, I suppose, in the early days of Gene Vincent and Presley and stuff in the 50s. Mm. And likewise, it must have been like that and earlier in kind of, you know, Mozart's day. Mm. Imagine. 
Because I've spoken to a few incredible books. I've spoken to your old bandmate before, Brian, and I've spoken to like Wilco Johnson and actually Wayne Kramer was in here before from MC5. Really? Oh, such a legend. I love that man. I just love him. Um, yeah. But and then, you know, most of the stories you, you hear about is that there was such an energy happening. There was a lot of things that was going wrong at the time, the whole Thatcher era and everything, and everyone wanted to throw their energy into something. And then the, on the other side, you have the whole, ah, oh, really, it was like Malcolm McLaurin. It was all about a fashion thing or a way to get the fashion out. The sex pistol was all put together. And did you find yeah. there was a bit of a, a fakeness as part of the punk thing in terms of how it was all kind of marketed together? Yeah, I mean, that's inevitable, though, isn't it? I mean, and also Malcolm specifically was an opportunist. You know, it's when when things went one way, if he didn't like it or he thought he'd blown it, and they suddenly got garnered press for him, <laughs> he would say then suddenly he'd instigate it, like the Grundy show. Mm. And when, when Pistols did the Grundy show, he came back from that swearing, saying that their career was over, you know, they were finished, and then the next day they got all the front pages. And suddenly it was Malcolm orchestrated it, you know. Uh, apparently that ruined it for the Ramones for a while. Obviously, in the long run, it didn't really. But I had Danny Fields, their old manager, in. So when the yeah. Ramones were trying to get going, it was like, oh, the Sex Pistols punk, oh, Grundy, oh, bad language. No, 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 no. We don't <laughs> yeah. want this punk I mean, band. You know, I mean, the funny thing about that whole scene in, in so many ways is that... It, uh, most of the managers had been around for a, a quite a while in the rag trade. They're all, you know, breaking into weird ways of making, you know, in the clothing business, whatever. I mean, John Cravine, who was Clash's guy, was all in, into second-hand American stuff. He was selling all over the place. He bought up cheap in the States. And they were all um, rag trade guys, you know? Right. And so they had the, I guess they had the benefit of being slightly older and having seen what happened when they were younger in the 60s and thought they could get a slice of the action and maybe, you know, do the management side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think when it very first started, it was completely legit and, and above level. I think as it moved along, it was, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we were always put on the outside because we were a bit too honest, I think. <laughs> you reckon? We weren't trying to say we want to make money or we want to do this or we want to do that, you know, where the other guys, oh, no, it's for the kids, you know. <laughs> It's a political stance or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, everyone horses for courses. But, you know, what I liked was the fact that when it started, everything was so diversely different. And and then within a year, it was kind of homogenized a little bit, which is a shame. And I, I heard before, I was to an interview with you from, from a while back in the 80s, I think it was, and uh, the Sex Pistols and the Downed were almost intertwined in a way in that yourself and Sid Vicious were both invited to audition to front the band and he didn't turn yeah. up. And So how was that all intertwined at the time? I guess because the, the scene was so, so very, very small. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knew everybody else. You know, it was mm-hmm. a case of, um, it's not like now where... It was commonplace to, to have that sort of thing happen. It was, you know, it literally was down to a few individuals here and there and, and tiny little clubs that you could go to where it was safe, you weren't going to get beaten up in the club or whatever, you know, things right. like that. Wow. Look in a certain way. It was a, just a different time. And I think because of that, uh, I mean, like you said about the Ramones, when the Ramones first did their gig in London, the first two rows of the audience were probably all bands or would become bands or right of course yeah imagine who would have been in those rows wow yeah yeah so would you have been beaten up quite a bit back in the day then dave yeah i mean i I, the only reason i bought a car originally was because i was sick of getting beaten up on public transport all the time so i decided (sighs) to buy a car wow well you would have stood out a wee bit i guess you were kind of one of the early influencers of the whole gothic look really weren't you well the the thing is that, that, that was just i was doing my thing regardless of, you know, for years before I was in a band. So of course. 
it's it's uh, it's just that you know, things changed. So Dave, before I ask you about your previous job as a grave digger, I'm going to take another track from your band. You are backstage with Dave Vanian of The Damned, who are celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. And from The Damned, this is another incredible punk anthem. Turn it up. This is Neat 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 on Radio Nova. The Damned on Radio Nova, neat, neat, neat. This is reminding me of my early days of DJing with Chicks and Jacksies. I love playing The Damned and other great early punk stuff. You are backstage with me, Shanae Vorda and Dave Vanian of The Damned, who are coming to Ireland to play Dublin's Academy as part of the 40th anniversary tour. Now, Dave, earlier on you are talking about being beaten up on the streets and having to buy a car as a result, because obviously you would have looked a little bit different, I guess, and you would have been, you know, one of the early influencers of gothic fashion. So, you know, was that inspired at all by your previous job as a grave that was purely coincidence. I mean, the only reason I took that job was because I figured I, had this, uh, I was in between work uh, and I had to walk past this cemetery uh, when I'd signed on, which I didn't sign on for very long, a very short period because I didn't want to be on the dole. Yeah. And um, I walked by and I saw this guy digging in the grave, whistling away and looking quite content with himself. And I thought, you know, if I was to take that job, if I get a job there, I could, it won't take up any um, intellectual kind of 
brain power. I can I can do the job and then get to London as quickly as possible and get things done. And, and what I did was I went in and said, have you got a vacancy? And in fact, they did because two guys just left, although they didn't want to take me on at first. <laughs> and um, I got the job. And, it, and it, what happened was I ended up doing the work faster than I needed to so I could get off hours before. You know, I could get a couple of jobs done that needed to be done. It wasn't all graveling. It was gardening and stuff like that. Oh, so okay, right, yeah, okay. Victorian cemetery. It was very nice, and I loved gardening anyway, so... Yeah. There was that. It was a plantsman's job as well as grave digging, planting the dead. And um, then what would happen is I would do the jobs quicker, knock off earlier, I'd be on the train and into London. And so I could be, you know, trying to find what the hell I was going to do with the rest of my life, basically, at that right. point. Because I tried to be a, um, a, a graphics designer and that hadn't worked out. I wanted to be an artist of some description. Uh-huh. It didn't occur to me to be a musician at that point in time at all. Yeah, of course. And it was just, and just I gradually sort of it came that way, and I got, kind of bluffed my way in. Yeah. Oh, what a way to end up in an incredible, yeah, performing, expressive artist. No better way to well, do it. Well, I'd always, I'd always loved, you know, obviously I always loved music right from as early as I can remember, but I was never thinking I would actually be creating it. I don't know why I thought of film and I thought of everything else, but it hadn't occurred to me that that's something I could do. Now, I've been lucky enough that by... Being in a band, I've managed to indulge some of my other things, you know, as well. So it kind of worked out perfectly for me. Well done. You've done all right and still doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, generally. I mean, as opposed to a lot of people who say, you know, the whole thing was was a terrible time. It's actually the opposite in many ways because the, the, the whole thing is all these people so optimistic. It was full of optimism and creativity of people going forward some, you know, 19, 20-year-olds mm. or younger than that, actually, a lot of them, 16, 17 years old, straight out of school, 15, you know, looking forward to actually creating something for their own yeah. and doing something. And then suddenly there was the avenue to do it with. It wasn't just music. There were lots of other things were opening up. And it was tough, but it was, it was possible. You know, the, 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 the kind of um, fences had been moved. Right. And, and do you find that, that kind of essence and that energy of punk is alive today? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a totally different time, and I was a bit yeah. disappointed about what happened to it in a way, you know. Yeah. Dissipated somewhat. But, I mean, the great thing is, is, is as long as great music comes out of it, completely, you know, keeps coming out of it, then it's done its job, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, nothing's going to be the same as the first few years of... of, of when things happen, because that's when it's most exciting. If you go back to those bands, I, um, I mean, probably it's some bands because they didn't do that much later on, like the MC5 is why they're so great, because they, via that beginning, captured Roar, you know, and, and suddenly they're all, you know, knocked up in prison or, or, you know, away or whatever. Yeah, job's like, done. Life was the same, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and other bands just kind of, it didn't work out for them, and they, they disappeared. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, I know, especially Brian, he was a huge uh, Stooges fan. Yeah. You know, James Williamson was uh, the guy he really admired. Yeah. Uh, Brian, great, great guitarist. His new album he brought last year was brilliant, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's yeah, great guitarist. I mean, was, when, when I did meet, you know, see him play for the first time in the rehearsal room, I was blown away because, you know, I'd seen... I didn't think I would see an English guy play like that at that point in time because really? it seemed that that kind of way of playing came from American players like Williamson and like you know like 
MC5 and, and even Johnny Thunders, you know, from the New York Dolls. Mm. And Brian had a definite kind of a, a, different, a different way of playing. He had his own sound, his own style, which was great. Oh, what an exciting time. Before you go, I just want to ask you briefly about uh, I've got so many things I want to ask you, but um, just looking back at that time when it was you on tour with the Pistols and the Clash and Johnny Thunders, who you just mentioned, just remind me, as openers yeah. for that Anarchy Tour of the UK, what are your memories of that tour? Or do you have any memories of it? Well, <laughs> well so I can imagine I, it was complete annihilation. It was over so quickly, but you know, it was yeah. kind of, the only reason we were put on that tour originally was because the Pistols couldn't get any, you know, they only played to like 30 people a night or something. And we'd already been on tour and we were guaranteed to get some more people in. And so Malcolm reluctantly put us on the bill, made this kind of bill up first, the Clash and and, uh, the Pistols. But as soon as the Pistols did the Grundy show, we were completely, you know, not needed at all then. So if that Mm -hmm. tour had continued, they would have probably tried to get us off of it somehow. I just can't imagine how that would have been to see all of you bands on that one stage and one night. It would have been just overkill. But the great thing about that was every one of those bands was different from each other. Yeah, yeah, you know, as yeah. As opposed to what happened afterwards, where all the bands kind of sounded the same. It's a shame. And mm. also singing about different things as well, different passions and different ideas, rather than it being, you know, buy it off a shelf and put it on and do it sort of thing, you know? Yeah, and following the latest wave or the latest craze yeah. or whatever is shaken at the time, yeah. 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 Right. So, yeah. It's, it's like, every, it's, you know, it's like, as I said, I keep, going back, I keep going back to things like the, the 50s when rock and roll and rockabilly was first formed. It was much more dangerous and, and interesting than the stuff that came out later. But that's, mm. that's what happens, isn't it? It gets dissipated. Yeah, I guess that's, it's hard to be original these days, I guess. I don't know when there's so much to be influenced by, but I know it's nice well, that you... Well, I think also it's, it's problematic because now everything is available and it's so split across the board. Yeah. If you actually, it's harder to come across something in many ways unless you actually know what you're looking for. Mm. Whereas before, if something was a bit underground trying to cut through, you'd know how to find it. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's more difficult, I think, now. I mean, there's more music anywhere than there's ever been, if you yeah. think about it. It's so accessible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, saturated. Too much available. But listen, um, congratulations again, the 40th anniversary. Um, I know you've had a, a crazy time this year. Uh, John, your tour manager, was saying it's been chaotic. So, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, I believe you had quite the audience in LA on, on April 21st. I mean, obviously, sadly, that was the day we had to say goodbye to one of the greatest artists ever, Prince. So I'd say that was quite yeah, yeah. an emotional one for you. And I know Morrissey was in attendance there as well. Yeah, was he? Right. I mean... This is a great, you know, a great one-off. I mean, this this year there's been so many pops yeah. off, isn't it? It's terrible. Too many. Uh... You know? That's the thing. Um, I think I think Bowie left a great legacy of his last album because I was, it, the funny thing was I, I did an interview, but they didn't print what I said about a week before he died, and I was raving about the the album, saying that it was nice to see an artist that had reached a point in his life where he could still sound very interesting and edgy, you know. Yeah. And it was as good as anything he'd done earlier, which is unusual because, you know, we get a bit soft in our old age and, and kind of, uh, except, you know, some people have a rebirth, like Johnny Cash did, for instance. Um, but, you know, that Black Star album, it's a totally different thing than you'd mm. imagine. But it's got some great stuff on it. Yeah. Beautiful. What a man. Oh. Well, listen, we're looking forward to seeing you, Dave, on the damned, of course, of the Academy, Friday 26th of August. So I believe you've been working hard on, on the material for it. So what can we expect? Give us working a little hard. synopsis. Of course, working, of course you're working hard in this chaotic tour. <laughs> yeah. So what can we expect from the show? 
I don't know. I can't give away all the trade secrets, can I? Even, to be honest, even I don't know at this point. Cause what happens is we we have a habit of um, moving things around at the last minute. It will go along one way, and then it will be totally different. So, yeah. if I said anything now, it'd probably be totally wrong. Okay, so just go to feeling. It'll be an interesting and exciting evening for discerning music lovers. <laughs> well, there's a, <laughs> an appropriate way of rounding it up. Lovely, and it sounds great, Dadley. Well, Dave Hennion of The Damned, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Will you be coming down to the show? I would love to come down, absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for the chats, Dave. Thank you. Backstage on Radio Nova. Joining me a bit later on on the show will be Sean O'Connor of The Lookalikes. When I announced this on Nova Nights during the week, a lot of you got quite excited and the phone line just lit up. So yeah, 34 years after disbanding, The Lookalikes have decided to put on a reunion show in the Workman's in Dublin. So Sean's going to be popping in a little bit later on to tell you about that. I've got music from Whitney and Elba coming up soon, but next I'm going to be joined by Conor McCaffrey of Radio Nova. He has got some rather exciting news regarding you 2 and The Killers. And he's going to be revealing what Morrissey has to say when been put forward with a question of a possible Smiths reunion. So, in light of that, I'm going to play this classic one from the Smiths. This is Panic on Radio Nova. (laughs) 